Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Whatever's trying to escape your stomach, Brad, I'm not. <laughs> I don't want to be in the room when it happens. Evan, we are officially on a time crunch for today. This guy is going through it. Yeah, the bomb counter is uh, is ticking now. It's your guy's fault. I need you to know that. Because every other week when we do this podcast, I get out of work. I come over here for the same time. I have the exact right amount of time from that building to this building. And then I just sit here hungry for two and a half hours. And then I go home and eat. You guys delayed me (laughs) by like a half hour, 45 minutes today. So I had to kill time. So I'm like, oh, I can go eat before uh, we record this. But I didn't have enough time. So I thought to go home and then come here. So I'm like, I'll just go grab Wendy's near my work, eat in the car, kill 15 minutes, whatever, head over this way. So, So that's what you get to deal with now. I don't know what you ordered from there, but uh, I'm sure it has a name and it doesn't sound like it appreciated being eaten by the sounds of it. Anyhow, uh, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of prospects, uh, celebrating a, a Red Wings holiday today, and just generally being concerned for Brad's well-being. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we are going to be talking about the two games that the Red Wings played in theory. Uh, I guess it was two if you if you check the game scores and everything like that. The schedule does say they did play a game against Philly. Uh, we'll be giving you some updates on where the Red Wings might draft. And wow, this is like someone is uh, uh, scripting a tank, post-trade deadline tank for the Red Wings. They could be as low as seventh, maybe. Uh, we'll be taking a look at um, some Red Wings stories in the world of prospects. Amadeus Lombardi continues to impress. Guylander, Mazer, Casper, Willander, a lot of them have uh, updates uh, as their seasons come to an end. And today's prospect profile is one of the biggest names in the draft. And Adam Fantilli, uh, one uh, name that you're definitely already familiar with. And if not, then you'll become familiar with him after uh, today's prospect profile and whatever other NHL news we have uh, time to get to before overtime. Uh, Before all that, I want to let everyone know uh, that this podcast is supported almost completely by uh, our our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, uh, everything that we do, we're able to do because of our incredible Patreon sponsors. Uh, If you join Patreon, you get some uh, awesome benefits like access to the Winged Wheel Podcast official Discord. You get access to our bonus overtime episodes, which record right after the main episode. And I think last episode's bonus episode was by far our best or worst. I don't, I'm not sure which, but the mayhem was clock to 11. Uh, and you also are entered into all of our giveaways. We were giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season. The vast, vast majority of them have gone directly to Patreon supporters. So if you want to support the show, uh, a really great way to do it, if you're able to, is patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Not only that, uh, we also want to let you know about the Jamie Daniels Foundation and their comedy night of hope. It's on Thursday, April 13th at 6.15 p.m. at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org to get your tickets. The link will also be in the description of this episode. Uh, It is a great event uh, and a great way uh, to get some laughs in and support an excellent cause. All right, well, uh, the Red Wings have continued their losing ways, which at this point of the year isn't necessarily a bad thing if you're looking forward 
past just the 2022-2023 season because the standings are what they are and this draft is what it is. But uh, in terms of these two games, the most exciting moment was like the first five minutes against St. Louis, wherein Simon Edvinson scored his first career NHL goal, his first point. Uh, We didn't know it wasn't officially called his goal because uh, everyone thought it was Matt Luff's, but upon replay, it hit off uh, St. Louis defender skate. So Edvinson's pass really went in the net. And then Jake Wallman scored off a great shot not too long after that. And then did anything else happen from that point in the game until the end of the Philly game other than an Alex Chason net front goal? I want, I'm going to go back about a month here and I'm going to say a statement and I want you to narrow this down for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Red Wings played a game. Barely anything happened. They lost the low scoring game. It's a trend. This team is what it is at this point. It is comically boring at this point. It's when you have no finishing talent on your team. uh, This is unfortunately what it is. Again, we've said it before. I'm not like losing my mind about this. I'm not mad. You sell off at the deadline like like the Red Wings did and you lose Michael Rasmussen like the Red Wings did and you're banged up at the end of the season like the Red Wings are. Your storylines are going to be weird. Like Alex Chason scores with the man advantage in front of the net like 1,100 times. And other than that, no one's really doing much. And that was a storyline. If you tried breaking these down moment by moment, period by period, it would get very redundant and repetitive. Evan would leave. That would be Evan's limit. That would be. He'd get up, punch me in the throat, and walk out the door as he's definitely daydreamed about on this podcast. I'd be taking these... uh... The Russian... The little Russian five nesting dolls? The nesting dolls. Is that your favorite thing that we put on the... uh, Oh, 100%. I was almost going to cycle it out. I guess I'll leave it there then. Okay. I'll I'll give you the table decor uh, uh, decisions. Oh, boy. I didn't know you cared. No, I don't care. I just... (laughs) I would just take that as as I was leaving. Oh, okay. Let's talk about Simon Edvinson, though. His first goal, uh, his first career NHL point... And this little mini stint towards the end of the season, it doesn't look like they're going to give him, uh, they're going to burn the ELC year. I I don't think that's going to be the case. But when he does get in the lineup, he's continued to be impressive. And I'm happy that he was able to get that first career NHL goal with his family in the stands. Oh, I didn't know that. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. They, that was like the very end of their trip and they were able to catch that, which was cool. I'm almost a little bit miffed and it's no one's fault uh, that it registered as a left school to start because he didn't really have that moment to celebrate on the ice, but they did do the adjusted uh, uh, goal call Eric Franny got on the PA system as uh, uh, he does excellently and was gave Simon Edvinson his first career NHL goal with the Red Wings and uh, everyone kind of congratulated and clapped. It was it was it was great, but um, no, it was that's like the the whole. If you want a genuine storyline that's actually good and worth talking about, it's Simon Edvinson and not much else after that. I really wish there was more to talk about. You know, Valeno is playing well. That's neat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Red Wings' top three defensemen when uh, Edvinson plays seem to have very distinctly separated themselves from the bottom three, mm-hmm. uh, which is a problem. And, you know, Ole Matt is doing his best to tread water with the partners he's been given. It hasn't went well. I mean, yeah, at this point, this is all we're looking for. We're looking for progression from the guys where there's reasonable expectation for improvement next year. Yeah. Valeno is one of those guys, which is good. Uh, Edmondson's probably the biggest of those. Um, so literally, watch- yeah. Yeah, yeah, literally. 
So watching him come into the NHL after a good AHL season and continue to play well and look comfortable at this level, I'm not going to go say and he's been fantastic because they've asked him, I assume they've asked him to play a very simple game, a very responsible game, and he's done that, and he's done that well. We haven't really seen the dynamic side of Edmondson too, too much at the NHL level, but there are moments, there are plays where you're like, okay, there it is. And, you know, hopefully he continues to get comfortable at the NHL level so that when he shows up to training camp preseason, start of the season next year, he's a little more comfortable doing the things that make him Simon Edvinson. It's going to be really beneficial for him. It it takes a lot of pressure off his next camp. Like, because the expectation for Edvinson, even before these games, would be he makes a team out of the next camp. And that's a lot for to put on a kid's shoulders. So... For him to kind of get a lot of this out of his system and demonstrate that his year in Grand Rapids was actually positive development that translated into on-ice product at the NHL level, that'll give him a boost of confidence. Uh, the only other storyline here that I want to make a quick note of, uh, Alex Ndelkovic took the ice in the winged wheel for the first time since December 8th, uh, came in relief against St. Louis. I believe his first shot against was a breakaway that ended up being Welcome a back. <laughs> so nothing, hockey. nothing has changed on that front. And then had the Philly game, all of it, altogether unremarkable. Uh, but happy that Ned was at least able to get back between the pipes. I'm sure he is too. He's going to be seeking an opportunity elsewhere in the league. Uh, I'm sure come free agency. So the Red Wings lost against St. Louis. They lost against Philly. Let's talk about where they are in the standings. League standings right now, they are even on points with Vancouver. And St. Louis is a point ahead of them. So that means that the Red Wings could drop right now uh, if if Vancouver gets the tiebreaker. Currently, Detroit technically has a tiebreaker over Vancouver, but if Vancouver moves simply a point ahead, Detroit would be 25th in the league. San Jose, in reverse order, San Jose, Columbus, Chicago, Anaheim, Montreal, Arizona, Philly, and then 25th would be Detroit. Hey, don't discount Philly. That, That loss on Saturday was key. Yep. They're so only three points behind, I think. Philly's only three points behind all of all St. Louis, Detroit, Vancouver, and Philly, all 72 games played. Arizona's at 67 points, so four points behind, but they have two more games played. I don't know that Arizona's within reach. The but fact that's even a statement right now, my God. I know. Like, I don't think they're in reach. It wouldn't be insane for that to happen. Vimelka could just go could. back on a world beater type performance, so anything's possible at the bottom. <laughs> If all of the, if it's this entire season, the buying and free agency, they're actually getting close, like not even just daydreaming, like they actually got close to the playoffs. This entire kind of topsy turvy, topsy turvy roller coaster we haven't had a year like this in five year season culminates in Detroit having the sixth pick again. I will lose my damn mind. Then I will submit to we live in a simulation. Yeah, that would have to be it, right? Like just lazy story writing. It, as of right now, Detroit is ninth in the lottery standings, but again, it could end up being seventh. And it's 10 games remaining, so you're running at a runway here. But Detroit's remaining games, you have Pittsburgh, who's fighting for a playoff spot. Carolina, who's one of the best teams in the league. Winnipeg, who's in the mix, obviously, in the West. Toronto. You have Montreal and Buffalo, who aren't doing so hot. Pittsburgh, again, on Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA on Saturday, April 8th. Dallas, Carolina, Tampa. Those are... There's two two games in there that I... Th- might be a coin flip. <laughs> Everything else, not so much. Like the only thing that can screw the Red Wings over here, it, I, and I mean from a tank perspective, is if 
Carolina, Tampa, Toronto's, they, they start to be a little bit more solidified in where they are in their playoff standings and they don't go all out against Detroit. But it's not like Detroit's putting out four goals a game right now where they can even win those games. Like Vasilevsky just has to come to the rink and, and Detroit's kind of screwed that day. This is, it, Detroit could end up being the seventh or getting crazy for a second, even higher pick before the lottery. If we end up sixth again, I'm. It's it. That's it. It's a simulation. I mean it. Like that. That this is the this is the scientist in the lab saying, okay, let's do it one more time and see if now they know it's a simulation. When yeah. can we break? Yeah, them? they're cramming for that deadline. They're like, oh, we didn't. We haven't started. It's too late now. What do we do? <laughs> oh, let's just put the Red Wings six. Yeah. Screw it. It's like every time we talk about something, the Red Wings just make fun of us by doing the opposite. Okay, we write the Red Wings off. This season's done. They go on this miracle run to get back into the playoff race. All right, we're in the playoff race now. Just kidding. They start playing very mediocre and fall out of the playoff race. We do our prospect profile on Will Smith. Yeah, he'd be nice, but he's a little out of Detroit's range. Or is he? Or is he? Like that, <laughs> that's what matters more. Like, so in terms of the draft lottery, what would moving up to that seventh best odds give you? You move from 5% at uh, to get first overall pick or 5.4% to get the second overall pick. And remember, the new draft lottery rules means that you can only get... Uh, there's there's only lotteries for the first two picks. So 10.4% combined for a top two pick. First overall uh, pick chances for seventh best in the lottery is 6.5. So it's 1.5% improvement on that front. And then 6.9% for second overall pick. Nice. So 13.4%. So really a 6.5% chance over 5% uh, for first overall and 13.4% versus 10.4% for a top two pick period. You're not moving mountains here. But it's just like like Brad said, you're now moving into Will Smith range. You're now moving into maybe Meechkov really fell range. You're now giving yourself a better pick. Actually, every round, obviously. Or sorry, um, yeah, every round. And that's what I think is more meaningful here in the tank for a, a draft that is so top heavy and the talent could be so damn good in terms of potentially game-breaking talent that could slide down there. That that that's going to mean a lot to Detroit. That said, as fans, I'm not going to sit there and root for a loss every game. They'll well, do that. The team will do that for you. Yeah, you'll claw your eyes out that way trying to root for losing hockey. But in terms of what's likely based on that that strength of schedule over the last ten games, this could be a more interesting uh, draft lottery winged wheel podcast live stream than we maybe thought it was two months ago. I'm just so very tired. <laughs> Brad, last time, I promise, last time this live stream is going to matter. Steve Eisman, please don't make me look stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do it once? Yeah, hit it. All right. <laughs> did, did you see my one tweet from today? Uh, Someone tweeted at me there, Tankathon. So I'm like, ah, I haven't run one yet. I ran it once. I hit Detroit, jumping up to number two on my first try. And then you gave up. And then I said, uh, let's see how many times I have to hit this to get Bedard. 62. Yeah, that was a statistical anomaly, though, I think. Probably, yeah. but it took me 62 tries. So I simulated once, and Detroit went down a pick to 10th. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Great. Very that, on brand. That makes me excited. Ah, so, uh, yes, it would be St. Louis who jumps up as well. Yep. So that's uh, that's where the Red Wings are at. We went from legitimately within a playoff spot on merit by, you know, there's no tiebreak or anything, that actually in a wild card spot to... This team might be one of the six worst or seven worst teams in the league. Again that was the the less than a month ago <laughs> that we had those revelations. I almost needed to sit and say, were we 
being insane? Like, were we just putting out terrible content and just buying into hype that wasn't there? But it actually just has been like a massive rubber band. The the trade deadline sell-off really can't be overstated, nor can uh, losing Rasmussen all year. But Well, you just look at it. It's like two different podcasts at this point. Yeah. Players who played, who were playing for the Detroit Red Wings shortly before the deadline. Bertuzzi, Hironik, Rasmussen, Fabry, Zadina, Huso, Sherratt. Who am I forgetting? Like, these are all guys that have either been traded, injured, uh, Sundqvist. Yep. Uh, Verona, kind of. I mean, he's got eight points in 10 games with St. Louis, so I'm counting it. But those are all players who are contributing to the Red Wings playoff run that are no longer really a factor in this season. Zadina and Huso look like they'll be back. I think Zadina was only day-to-day. Huso, they've been a little more cagey with. Um, no real update on Sherratt, but... That's almost two lines worth of players, most of those guys playing a significant role on this team. So for all intents and purposes, we are watching a a completely different team right now. A hundred percent. It's to to the point where there's nothing to obstruct my like uh, memeing of of hyping up Pew Suter. So that's all that comes through. And so it's just genuinely at this point, I'm like Pew Suter fanboying and there's nothing else in terms of Red Wings players playing well. That and Alex Chason are the two Red Wings storylines. Ugh. Wow, next season can't come soon enough. Uh, okay, let's get into some more content here, some happier content. Amadeus Lombardi broke the Flint Firebirds uh, single season points record with 98 points and didn't stop there. He uh, went up to 102 points, Amadeus Lombardi, with Flint in 67 games played. So I'm very happy for his like this kind of season he's had, Brad, you, you made a lot of uh, a really good points around the time that he was drafted to say like that missed year because of COVID could have really obfuscated how good this guy really is. And he's had a dream year by anyone's standards in terms of what this next season in the OHL could be. Well, it's probably worth repeating for those who haven't been listening since uh, that draft because you know, leading up to that draft, there was a lot of talk, not just with us, but in the hockey world about the COVID drafts are going to be really weird because there's a lot of guys who didn't get any exposure and nobody's going to have a good idea uh, how good they actually are, especially coming out of the OHL because they had an entire season canceled. And then you throw in, you know, for Amadeus specifically, he did not play his 16-year-old year in the OHL because he didn't make the team. So his 17-year-old year, which would have been his NHL draft year, there was no season. So when he was eligible for the NHL entry draft, he had played a grand total of zero games in the OHL. So in his 18-year-old year, he goes in and he's almost a point per game. As an 18-year-old, which for most OHLers would be their third season, which for him was his first. Red Wings liked what they saw, decided to take a flyer on him in the fourth round. and then. He comes out and puts up the absolute insane numbers he's doing now. So again, this would be his 19-year-old year, his fourth year of OHL eligibility, which for most legitimate NHL prospects is their last year in the OHL, but it's only his second year. And, you know, relative to his age, this is about what you would expect from a player of his pedigree. But given that it's only his second OHL season, there might still be another gear. He might still have not fully developed how most players at the OHL level 
Wood, which for his development, now do you put him back for his overage year? Do you bring him to Grand Rapids next year? There's a lot of options with him there and a lot of unknowns. But this is what you were hoping for out of the COVID drafts. Find a guy without a lot of exposure and just take a flyer and honestly pray. Does he stick as a center? I think the answer he, is it's too early to tell, but does he stick as a center? He could. He, he ha- he's undersized, but he has the tools you would want to play that, you know, quote unquote, Braden Point type role, which it's always him when people are talking about small centers in the NHL. But yeah, he's competitive. He's a good skater. He's a smart player. Those are the boxes you have to check. Um, now, again, guys put up 100 points in their 19-year-old season all the time in the OHL that become nothing in the NHL. Totally. So it's it's worth mentioning, but not many guys do that in their second OHL season. Again, just an absolute dream year in terms of what we wanted to see from Amadeus Lombardi. So uh, I'm curious to see what happens to him this offseason. Not only that, but the NCAA uh, men's, sorry, I'm going to say, I almost said NCAA tournament and people are going to think March Madness. NCAA D1 hockey tournament uh, is underway. I almost feel bad for how much we talked about Carter Guylander. <laughs> Colgate played Michigan first game and uh, yeah, Michigan won 11-1. Oops. Only so much you're going to do against that team. Yeah, that was not Guylander's fault. There was maybe one that you would have wanted him to have, but <laughs> beyond that... That was just a, a great team pumping a team that was, for the most part, just happy to be there. And Cornell took down uh, fourth-seeded Denver 2-0, which means that we are officially on Carter Mazer watch. And Shai Booyam's season, that means his season's also over, so we are going to see what he's going to do. So Carter Mazer's an interesting one. I, I Based on his how he's developed over the past couple of years and what the Red Wings are in need of, I could see a world where Carter Mazur can make a push to go pro. Um, it's going to be, you know, obviously largely his decision. Steve Eisman said, really, whenever he got asked about, you know, prospects and free agency, uh, it, he was going to wait until their seasons were over to talk about them. But uh, I think Mazur is going to be the key point of interest there. I think you were saying pre-podcast, Brad, Booyam's a little bit more likely to go back to college, though. Yeah, there's... If we're talking next season, I think Booyam's likely to go back to Denver. I think Mazer would probably be better served in Grand Rapids. Um, again, it's going to be up to them and um, at what they want to do. So who really truly knows? Um, but uh, Mazer's close. I mean, he had a huge year uh, in overall, and there was talk about him at one point maybe even getting a Hobie Baker nom. When you're when you're near the top of the NCAA, you're probably not developmentally served well by going back. Couldn't hurt, but you probably want to see him progress next year, and I think he's probably ready for Grand Rapids. The uh, the Rogla season is over in the SHL, which means we are now kind of waiting to see what Marco Casper and William uh, Willinder do. Obviously, Casper is expected in North America, and I think something probably very similar for uh, Willinder as well. Casper mentioned the world championships that are coming, and and obviously that's going to be important to him, but we're going to start to think what he looks like in North America and how he translates his game coming into next season for probably both of them, unless I'm I'm being too optimistic with Willinder. But at the very least with Casper, his next step is now coming up. I would think both of them 
are going to see a good amount of time in Grand Rapids next year. I, I don't even hate Casper's chances of making the Red Wings out of camp. Um, I wouldn't call it likely, but you know, it, it's very much a possibility. Detroit's going to have a lot of interesting decisions to make next year, though. Um, I, I don't think it's crazy that Wallander stays in Sweden just because if you look at the the Red Wings organization on the left side in North America next year, Wallman, Sherratt, Edvinson, Johansson, Sabrango, McIsaac, Vero. Like, like, there is truly only so many spots to go around. Now, Wallander has been playing the right side in Rogla, which might be a benefit to him. That might give him the edge over a lot of those guys, aside from the fact he's just plainly better than a bunch of those guys. But yeah, the the Red Wings are are kind of coming to a not a breaking point. That I don't think that's the right word, but something along those lines with all their left handed defensemen. Yeah, because they're they're out of space. Something like Edvinson almost has to make the Red Wings next year, regardless of how he looks in preseason, because they're going to need that spot in Grand Rapids. Yeah, Johansson might be the seventh defenseman for in Detroit for the same reason, which I don't think would serve his development well, but. Someone's got to do it and, you know, you got to get some of the other guys some reps. So it, it's going to be a truly fascinating offseason for the Red Wings uh, at that position. And then one other piece of, uh, of prospect information that almost kind of skated by here. Uh, in an interview with GoPhoenix.com, the Arizona State University head coach Greg Powers uh, mentioned something interesting about Robert Master Simone in that he doesn't think it's likely that he's going to sign with Detroit which means that uh, Detroit's rights to Master Simone could potentially lapse. And uh, yeah, the quote here is that there are a lot of teams interested in him, but it doesn't look Detroit like Detroit is going to happen. It's just a waiting game, but he has the option to come back. It's a good option, and he's open to it. So he's waiting to see kind of what's out there. Reading between the lines here, and this is just a guess. I don't have any inside information on this. Uh, but maybe Master Simone doesn't necessarily have a concrete offer to come in and push for the Red Wings roster, so to speak. And if Master Simone wants that or, you know, wants bonafide minutes in, in, in with an AHL team versus staying in college for a little longer and then making a choice as a free agent, if Detroit's not offering him that, then that could be it. His rights could expire. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, since he's been drafted, he's underachieved. I don't think he's super high up anybody's prospect list for the Red Wings right now. And he might know that. And it might be a fresh start thing for him. Again, you never know what the player's thinking, but yeah, it it would suck to lose a prospect for nothing, but I, I don't know anybody who had Master Simone factored into the long-term Red Wings plans at this point. And for context, folks, he was drafted 54th overall in uh, 2019, so that's a second-round pick for Detroit. The second of uh, their second-round picks... They had three. It went, yeah, it went Tuomisto, Master Simone, and then Albert Johansson was the third of them. So, yeah, that second round is, uh, Johansson could be the saving grace there in terms of those three picks. So that's uh, some Red Wings prospect news. It's never a good thing when, you know, Guylander season ends like that or, or Mazer doesn't make it further into the tournament. Uh, but it is good to start to think about, you know, what their summers are going to mean for them and potentially could we see them closer to the Red Wings system next season. All right, let's talk about a prospect here that isn't on the Red Wings yet. But is in the Frozen Four. Yep, that's right. Uh, Adam Fantilli is one of the most electric prospects in this draft class, and if it wasn't for Connor Bedard, would be firmly in the conversation for number one overall. Uh, Center, 
out of Michigan, so very close to home for Red Wings fans and the Detroit Red Wings themselves. He is, you know, the proverbial answer to a lot of questions for a lot of teams across the NHL and is one of the most desired prospects in the league right now. Who is Adam Fantilli and what could he do for Detroit? Everything. He's everything we need. (laughs) Uh, A big center who can skate, who competes hard, and has a ton of skill. Literally everything the Red Wings need. Um, Fantilli's a fun player to watch because you don't see his high skill level shift to shift, if that makes sense, because he just knows how to play a smart game that he doesn't need to bust that those that stuff out all that often. He just knows how to be simply effective with his skating, with his hands, with his positioning. Um, and, and he can play any role for you because let's not forget, he went into Team Canada at the World Juniors and he didn't have a bad tournament, but he, he definitely wasn't one of the go-to players on Team Canada, was playing down in the lineup. So he played a very simple physical game that you would want to see from a guy down the lineup and was super effective in that role. So, you know, that was just kind of the confirmation about how well-rounded of a player he is. You mm-hmm. know, throw him anywhere in the lineup and, and he can do it and do it well. And, um, yeah, it's hard to understate how, how big of a get Adam Fantilli would be if the Red Wings were able to jump up to that number two lottery spot. Uh, cause you know, imagine a player like Dylan Larkin, but with more skill. That's a really good, I was kind of thinking something similar as I was watching him, like not, uh, not Larkin's profile at the time, but what Larkin is now, like it's just a scaled up version of him. Yeah. Yeah, if you want, if you think Dylan Larkin is like a low tier number one center, which is probably what he is, take that and, and, you know, let's ramp up all the the skill by 20%. Yeah, his, uh, it's not just that he has insane compete in the size and the skating, it's that he has the puck skills with it. Like his talent level is. He can beat defenders and. Any way he wants, really. Yeah, he's not pigeonholed to one style of play. And and like you said, Brad, he's he he puts it all together. We talk a lot about guys who are who who can put it all together at the next level. It looks like Fantilli's already doing it, so he can play a dynamic game. And yeah, it's a very smart game. The way this guy can use all of his tools, maybe player comp isn't the right way to to kind of compare these two, but when you t- think about the NHL readiness and you can see the kind of NHL player they would be. Think of how folks thought of Matty Beneers, which was correct in terms of how he's translated to the NHL level. Yeah, and Beneers is a great comp for Fantilli. I think Fantilli's going to be better than Beneers. Agree, yeah. He but Beneers should. is having a phenomenal season. But Beneers is that player in that mold of they're more skilled than they look. Mm-hmm. Y- you know what I mean? Like you don't see Beneers on the highlight reel in Seattle all that often. And you're like, oh yeah, I ha- he hasn't popped up all that much. I mean, if you're a hockey diehard, you're obviously aware of what he's doing. But if you're a casual, you're like, oh, how's Beniers doing? Oh, he's leading all rookies in scoring. Fantilli's has that same, you know, vibe about him where he's not showing up on the highlights a ton. But every time you look, two goals, one assist, one goal, one assist, one goal, three assists. Like he's just always, always producing and he's playing a 200 foot game while doing it. I think if you look at where Adam Fantilli will likely be drafted in the in the draft this year at prop we'll say number two overall. Mm-hmm. Um 
I think, you know, when a team is likely that bad, he'll be on their roster night one. But even if if it was a half-decent NHL team, I think they would f- make a spot for him to play on the team. Like, I think he's that ready. He's This game is that mature and that well-rounded to to make an impact day one in the NHL. Six foot two, nearly around 200 pounds center. Center. I don't know if we said right-handed shooting defenseman, but left-handed shooting center this time. So <laughs> I don't care what hand they shoot at center at this point. It's just it's center. In case we mess that up. Six foot two, 200 pounds center. That that does translate into this guy can hang in the NHL or, or has the tools to hang in the NHL. Like he's not going to get bullied like he was, you know, first year Kent Johnson or something like that. I, I know prospects always get slow rolled, but if if the Red Wings jump up to number two, like legitimately, he's probably the Red Wings second line center next year. Yes. By the end of the season, yes. Yeah. 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 Now, will the Red Wings do that? Probably, probably almost certainly not. Because that is very much not the Red Wings style. But in terms of talent, is Adam Fantilli next year a more effective player than Andrew Kopp? Yeah, I could see it. Again, there will be more mistakes. Uh, you know, like rookie mistakes that are yeah. just come with that age. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, the veteran that he would have to uh, supplant, like Kopp is a more polished player. But Kopp doesn't touch Fantilli's skating, his skill, like, already. Like today, not, oh, what is Fantilli going to be in three years? Like they went head to head right now. Fantilli is a superior player in terms of skill. Where does he go in this draft? Two. It would be two or three under normal circumstances, but because of the questions around Michkov, I'll be shocked if it's not two. Okay. I, I agree. It's two because you're looking at a guy, you know, Number one center on your team, most likely, unless you're one of the fortunate few teams in the NHL to have an elite superstar, McDavid, McKinnon, you know, whoever else. Count Braden Point, like that kind of range of uh, game breakers are close to it. 70 to 90 points a year, if if all goes well for Fantilli. Remove the questions from Michkov. Let's say he's not he's not out for three years. You know, player to player, how do you compare them? Who's ranked two? Who's ranked three? They're such different players. I think it would come down to what the specific team needs are because Michkov's a high-scoring winger. Fentilli's your 200-foot center, not to say that he's not high-scoring, but I expect Michkov to put up bigger numbers in the NHL. You're Steve Eisman for Detroit. Oh, Fentilli is a 1,000% an Eisman guy. Yeah. A 1,000%. He, he checks every box that... Eisenman traditionally drafts based off of the compete, the skating, the size, the hockey, every box. And Steve Eisenman has never come out and said any of this, but we've, we've deduced over the years. Actions speak louder than yeah, words. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and Adam Fantilli is, to the letter, a Steve Eisenman guy. And not to say Eisenman would shy away from Michkov, because I, I just think the skating and him being a center is the differentiator between the two in terms of the Red Wings. Talent-wise, I still have Michkov as a superior player. But, again, it's <laughs> the Red Wings need a center so damn bad. Yeah, I don't see a world where you could pass up on Fantilli if you had the opportunity to, unless it was to draft Connor Bedard. That's it. It's a pretty special draft to have Bedard, Fantilli, and Michkov in there. It would also feel like, okay, let's say we get to draft lottery day 
they get to card seven or the seventh from the uh, uh, last card and the Red Wings aren't there, which means we know that the Red Wings are picking one of the top two. I'm out the window. Out the window. I'm, I'll be removing clothes. <laughs> I don't know what will happen, but some, I'll black out and something will happen. That stream will get demonetized so fast and it'll be worth it. But if you missed out on Connor Bedard, like that would be... Great the, consolation prize. It would be the... <laughs> oh, it, it's one of the best consolation prizes you could potentially ask for if you won the lottery and got one of the top two picks. Yes, it would suck to to miss out on a the biggest generational talent the NHL has seen since you know Matthews maybe, but it would feel damn good to get Fantilli. And for Red Wings fans where he plays in their backyard, like that is... That would work pretty well for them. I don't think there's a Red Wings fan who would say no to that. No. Well, Adam Fantilli is a, a player we're going to be talking quite a bit about uh, in the coming weeks and months leading up to the draft. Probably out of reach for Detroit, but hey, crazier things have happened and crazier things are happening literally right now as Detroit plummets down the standings. And before we get to some NHL news, uh, the John McDonald contract that we said was reported uh, at the end of last episode some more information on that one. I think it may be a uh, Toledo contract. So that's uh, uh, my fault for jumping the gun on that one. Uh, there still hasn't been a lot of clarity on that, and it looks like it may just be an ECHL thing. So uh, we mentioned at the end this could be just him going to the walleye, and and that's looks like uh, that's where it's headed. Um, UMass Lowell College free agent. All right. We talked a lot about the uh, reverse lottery standings. Let's take a look very quickly at the actual NHL playoff race right now. The standings that work in the proper direction and for teams who are still in it. The East is still interesting, although not the mayhem that it was before. It's essentially right now trying to see whether Florida can usurp one of Pittsburgh or the Islanders. Credit to the Islanders for doing what they did after Barzell went down. They just didn't miss a step. And, you know, they're in that first wildcard spot, 83 points with eight games left. Pittsburgh has uh, 82 points with nine games left. Florida has 79 points with nine games left. So Florida is three points back of Pittsburgh, four points back of the Islanders, and uh, they have a game in hand on the Islanders. But still, it looks like the Islanders are going strong and and could hold on there, which is bad news for Detroit's first-round pick this year. Because, of course. It's like they still get a pretty decent first-round pick, and you have to hope that – it looks like right now they're going to play Carolina, for example, uh, which that's going to be a tough matchup for them, of course. Carolina with suspect goaltending and no Svechnikov. And the Islanders with Sorokin. Oh, man. It's going to be pick 25, isn't it? The prophecy is self-fulfilling. <laughs> yeah. So that's the East. I don't know. If you really want to count Buffalo in there, I think you can if you want. I'm not too optimistic that they're going to do uh, a lot the way they've been trending. Although they have won, they're three, five, and two in their last ten, but they have won two straight. Bad time for Florida to lose three straight, though. I hate the Florida Panthers so damn much. They were such a fun story last year, only to get swept by Tampa in the second round. Now we need them to be good, and they can't <laughs> do anything. They get rid of their Jack Adams nominated coach and bring him in with Paul Maurice, who is the NHL definition of dry toast. Just just kind of there. Mm-hmm. And it goes poorly, and our draft pick suffers because of it. Also, Pittsburgh. My God, why did you not get a goalie? 
at the deadline. What are you doing? Because they're playing Boston in the first round, and what's the point? Oh, Dmitry Kulikov solved, solved all their problems at defense, so they did not need a goalie. And now because of this, we're picking 28. You got to hope Sorokin just like completely falls apart come playoffs. I'm I'm so tired. I am so tired, man. Please. I just, Pittsburgh, I need you to pass the Islanders. I need the Islanders to play Boston. That would be so good. Please, please, please. Let's keep that pick under 20. All of a sudden, Winged Wheel Podcast Day at the LCA matters again. Just not how we thought it would. Look at that. And in the West, uh, Edmonton is is moving up. They might actually get home ice advantage in the first round if they keep up on this uh, on this pace. Seven two and one. Although LA is eight zero oh, and two in their last ten. So the West is not as good as the East, but those playoffs are going to be fun. Oh yeah, they're going to be a blast. Could Calgary do this? No, Calgary and Nashville could both theoretically do this. Seattle and Winnipeg. Winnipeg really is the second wild card spot. Eighty five points. Calgary is four points back. Both of them have eight games left to play. Nashville has three games in hand and is five points back. Nashville theoretically holds all the cards in their hand. I mean, asking them to win the three games in hand and then keep pace is a big, is a tall ask, but I don't think Calgary and Nashville are out of this. Um, I don't think Calgary or Nashville are very good, uh, but if we're just counting the calendar year 2023, I think Winnipeg's worse. Yeah, Winnipeg has completely fallen apart. That, complete 180. That might that is the most dysfunctional locker room in the NHL because the number of stories that come out of there and the f- number of free falls they have gone on in the last few years. Like, how do you how do you blow up a team when they're like a perennial playoff team? But they might have to think about it. Remember, we were talking about um, where the Red Wings going to pluck some talent from. Oh, this this offseason, I'm calling Kevin Shevel Day off every day. Get a Kyle Connor back. Uh... Back in the state of Michigan? No, he's having a good year, so his value will be high. I think Winnipeg's just about done with Nikolai Ehlers. I'll take him. Absolutely, I'll take a Nikolai Ehlers. I uh, I almost feel bad. Like it, That's a hard market. That market has to sell itself as a hockey powerhouse because Winnipeg's not going to sell itself as a city. And it's, it's rough to see them do so well. Like, so, so well. One of the best teams in the West. One of the most su- surprising stories. We were saying, like, the team we were most wrong about at the start of the year and just, yeah, that crash back down to earth, you're like, ugh, guys, you got to do yourself a favor. It, yeah, I agree though, Brad. It seems like they just need a big, big reset. Just Cut. something. And like, you, you know, if they tear this down, they'll lose one of the best goalies in the league in Connor Hellebuck. It's not, there's a lot of talent there that could go away. He's not been happy with not playing meaningful playoff games in, in the spring. Well, every game from here on out is going to feel like a playoff game yeah. to them because Winnipeg on paper should be way better than they are. Winnipeg's that, the hockey example of you're looking at something and you go, I know something's off, but I don't know what. I just know <laughs> it looks wrong. That is the Winnipeg Jets right now. Their home road splits are, I mean, I mean a lot of teams are like this, but 22-12-2 at home and 19-18-1 uh, and one on the road. Oof. Anyhow. Those are the uh, those are the playoff races. It's starting to narrow down. We're not talking about as many teams. You know, Calgary and Nashville really in the West could make it interesting. And Florida in the East, outside shot at Buffalo. If you want some Buffalo magic, but I think my that, Ottawa Senators have let me down. I probably uh, mushed them though. Yeah, this I, this year might be the good, the perfect setup if you wanted to argue for a play-in round. No, because you have ten in the West that have clearly separated. 
and you have nine in the East that have separated with another three teams that could be fighting hard for that 10. Okay, let's start this this argument. We've had it before. We haven't had it in a while. Play in hockey. No. 32 teams in the league now. Instead of saying, you know, uh, eight teams from each division, you can say six teams guaranteed from each, or sorry, conference, six teams guaranteed from each conference, and then a batch of four, so seeds seven through 10, at the end of each season, play in a play-in tournament. Interested or no? The NBA no. has it. It's it's starting to become more popular. Why would a team? Why would teams want to do that after they've already played eighty-two games? Um. So then get a top six seed. I was actually. I I think last time we talked about this, I was kind of on the fence, but leaning more towards no. I have fully talked myself into it since then because one, the more playoff spots that open up, the less teams hopefully tank because the teams that are you know in that buffalo ottawa realm right now they'd still be playing for playoffs so even if they don't make it next year they're not thinking of tanking because we were right there even though realistically they finished 11th out of 16 teams but that could keep one or two more teams from uh you know tanking although i might be way off base here because i've been told teams don't tank that's right everyone's very happy with everything right now but no, also and board ads. Yes. And also like, I know I've heard the argument like, well, do you really need 20 teams in the playoffs? I mean, there was once upon a time the NHL had 21 teams and 16 of them made the playoffs and nobody really cared. So 32 teams, 20 of them make some version of the playoffs. I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I mean, we all love the OHL. It's a 20 team league where 16 make the playoffs. Yeah. Feels especially bad when your team doesn't make it in the O. Yeah. So basically, what you get, why I like this beyond th- those couple reasons, you get two playoff races. Then you get the teams chasing for six because they don't want to go into that playoff round. They want the guaranteed playoff spot and then take get those extra, you know, four or five days off to rest and recover. And then you get the rest of those teams competing for the 10 spot where teams that maybe fall out of it in a normal year all of a sudden have something to play for still. And in the end, it's the Stanley Cup. It's the hardest trophy to win in ho- in sports. Yeah, you got to play an extra three to five games. Okay, deal with it. It's tough. It's always been tough. It was never going to be easy. You don't want to play these? Play better. Get a top six seed. And entertainment value? Way up. I still think my preference on the spectrum is no, but it's very much on a spectrum. Like it slid from a hard no to... I can see the merit to this. I wouldn't want it in a world where it happened. I wouldn't want it to be a lot of extra games. Like I'm talking like a mini three game. I really like the way the NBA does it where it's weighted. The higher seeds have a, 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 I I agree. The higher seeds have a better chance of making it through. I forget exactly how it works in the NBA, but essentially if you're the 10 seed, you have to win three games in a row. Whereas if you're the higher seed, you have less opportunities to be knocked out. I that that was going to be one of my stipulations. I really like that. I don't want it to be too many games. Uh, I don't want, and this is going to sound so pedantic and stupid, and you're going to say, "Oh my god, shut up, Ryan!" But I don't want it to count as playoff stats. Count it towards the regular season. I don't care, but those aren't playoff stats. Uh, but yeah, I can see it keeps more teams in the mix. I will say, I'm going to get back to my annoying as hell. If you're doing this, then go back through to to one through eight seeding for the playoffs. Yeah, I can't do that math in the current no. setup. 
Well, it just it doesn't change much. It changes from two wild cards to four wild cards. I know. I'm just trying to piggyback my own idea. No, I, I'm with you. I would like that, but uh, yeah, it could be very easily done either way. I just I'd always circle back to one thing every time I question something like this: is what would I have more fun watching? This is an entertainment business. I want to be entertained. Two separate, you know, whatever you want to call them, playoff races is more fun. Less teams tanking, in theory, is more fun. The play-in series, rounds, round-robin series, whatever they end up being, would definitely be more fun. And I don't really have any objection in with 20 teams making whatever version of the playoffs you want to call this or regular season, whatever it ends up being. Because there's 32 teams and we're talking about going to 34 lately. So I'm, I'm fully on board with it. And, you know, oh, well, what if it's unfair that a seven seed gets taken out by a 10 seed, which would be the most logical argument. Cause it'll happen one year where yeah. there's like a, a seven seed who has 102 points and a 10 seed who has like 89 and they'll, they'll beat them. Yeah. And it's going to feel like shit. And my argument will be, okay, don't lose those games. I mean, how many times does an eight seed take out a one seed in the playoffs and everybody's like, yeah, tough shit. You should have won the damn series. I know, but seven game series is like. No, it's definitely more random, but that also leads back to my argument. That's just way more entertaining. Yeah. That's ultimate chaos. It's fantastic. But again, I wouldn't do like a seven versus 10 series. I would have nine play 10, winner plays eight, eight plays winner of that, winner of that plays seven. Something. something like that. And obviously the high seat always gets home ice. Not interested. <laughs> it's just half of the teams make the playoffs. If you're not good enough, too bad. Not interested. But again, I've seen a lot of math here, but I haven't actually heard an argument against it. Well, if I'm a player, I don't want to play more games and you're not get a paid play- the same amount. You're not a player. Who gives a shit? This is for the fans. <laughs> because I don't want to watch my team or these bad teams make the playoffs and then get destroyed in the first round, which is highly likely. And every year is different. Like last year was the worst example for this argument, but this year, is there that much of a gap between the Nashville Predators and the Winnipeg Jets? No. There is between them and Boston. Well, yeah, but they're <laughs> Winni- like, if you look at the West, whoever comes out of this playoff, this play in between Nashville, Calgary, Seattle, Winnipeg, Oh, they're getting absolutely slapped by Colorado or Vegas anyway. So it doesn't matter who. So we're just adding an extra layer of interest for those teams. Like, you know, you're playing for the right to get absolutely murdered by someone in the first round, but it's hockey. Crazy things happen. And it's the same thing in the East. You'd have, you know, is there any appreciable difference between the Islanders, Pittsburgh and Florida right now? No. Yeah, sure. You're throwing a Buffalo in there right now who probably don't deserve to be in that same conversation, but they're only a couple points back of Florida. Can you imagine a 10 seed wins a cup? That would be one of the most bonkers playoff stories and, in modern NHL history. But to my point, you know damn well that would be the most entertaining playoff run we've maybe ever seen. Theoretically, also, if a team, like let's say how Colorado keeps losing like Landiscog or someone for like months at a time, it wouldn't. It would make it less likely that that would torch their season because they would only have to crawl back to like tenth rather than eighth. Well, Vegas would have made a play in last year yeah. where they didn't make the playoffs simply because they got super injured. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, 
And I know Evan, like I, I actually, Evan, like your point, your stance on this was where I was like a year I'm ago. I'm not changing my stance. No, <laughs> Evan Lobsinger not changing his stance. Evan, uh, Evan's closing his boomer window. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think the conversation is going to happen and you know what? It's going to be a trade chip. The NHL players are going to say, we want Olympics and the NHL is going to say, well, we want the revenue from play-ins and that's probably, it, that kind of thing is going to be the swap in the next CBA. The if that's what it is, then yes, I will take it. Oh, because, that, that's specific- Well, the Olympics is, it, it is a must do. And yeah. if that's the, the, the compromise, then fine. But I'm not listening to it. I, this I, is just like the salary cap. I'm not listening to it anymore. <laughs> I think the craziest part about the play-in talk right now is the most vehement anti-play-in guy on the planet right now is Gary Bettman. I like that, that, that guy. That That is, like, whatever. You like it or you don't, I don't care. There is no reason Gary Bettman shouldn't be all in on this. He's It's okay, more he, money. It's he, more entertainment. But you know what? He's, uh, I. And this is a guess. He's a lawyer to the end, and I think he knows it's worth more money, but until the owners are ready to show that part of their hand, he's just playing ultra close to his chest. He doesn't want to give the NHLPA the knowledge that they care about that because then yeah. that it's a bar that he doesn't show his hand. He almost to a fault never shows his hand, that guy. So like sponsored sponsored jerseys. I believe there is a version of Gary Bettman who never who said that it is a disgusting. Uh, a bastardization of a hockey sweater. I never want sponsorship on those jerseys. And I, I believe there's a version of Gary Bettman who said, who uh, knew it wasn't the right time to raise it, but it was coming soon. And both those versions said the same thing. I don't want sponsorships on the jerseys. It wasn't until he was ready to do it that he flipped his tune. So I don't think, I think the same thing will happen with uh, 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 the plans. It's only when the ownership is ready to bring that to the bargaining table. Yep. He's good at his job, man. Hate him. At times I do like he, uh, he drives me nuts. But also at times I'm like, yeah, he is a great lawyer and a great commissioner in terms of getting the owners what they want. And, and the, that's why, that's why last episode I made you that hundred dollar bet, which I think you were smart for. Not what taking. was it again? I forgot. Within, within five years. <laughs> and I'm the like neutral party in this bet and I forgot what it was. <laughs> I said within five years we'd have a play in, I bet Brad a hundred bucks. That we would have it? That we would have it. And I think it's because it's more money and the owners are going to want it. Five years. Hey, eh? geez. I, I think it's going to happen with him. Got to get that in my calendar. That's the only way I <laughs> buddy, remember. But you know, look at that in five years. Be like, what the hell? Remember, Evan, don't look. What's in my birthday? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, last thing here. 26 years ago today, Fight Night at the Joe cemented what I think is the greatest rivalry in hockey, one of the greatest rivalries in sports history. Uh, Darren McCarty gets his revenge against, yes, Moritz Sider's now agent, Claude Lemieux. Brendan Shanahan clotheslines Patrick Wall in the air. It all kind of kicked off with Larionov and, and Forsberg tangling up. Happy Turtle Day, everyone. Uh, I said I called it a national holiday, and folks corrected me. It should be an international holiday, and I agree. I, I In tough times like this, you look back at, uh, at videos like that, and you're like, wow, the image of Shanahan horizontal clotheslining Patrick Waugh is just that's what that was one of my the moments where I was like this is, guy is my favorite player that's like one of the reasons why Shanahan was one of my favorite players growing up and that McCarty got his revenge on on Lemieux uh, for the hit from behind on Draper uh, a year prior was uh, hockey really was different in the 90s it <laughs> is so insane watching that video you you imagine that happened today you're talking like year long. Like <laughs> I, I say this as a Red Wings fan. I love Darren McCarty. 
And Darren McCarty says this too. He can't do what he did to, to Claude. Lemieux. Like Claude Lemieux is turtling and Darren McCarty's picking him up and breaking, literally breaking his face. <laughs> that is a year's year, if not yeah, more you're just long like ban from the NHL. Suspended from hockey. And that includes all the leagues. I'm not sure that there aren't detectives in the locker room after the game after that. Like that is. Yeah. But hey, as someone who grew up with that era of hockey, hell yeah. I, I, I understand why hockey's not like that today, but I do miss that era of hockey. As, as insane as that is for me to say. It's funny you mentioned that because on my YouTube recommended, you know what's been coming up a lot lately? Mm. Uh, people have uploaded the old Don Cherry Rock'em Sock'em videos. Oh, oh yeah. they're outrageous. For, think whatever you want about Don, but they are the perfect glimpse into like what hockey was in the 90s. And I've, I've sat there and watched them because those videos I watched every year I would get the new one and I would watch it a hundred times. Oh my God. <laughs> That is a different sport. Yes, it was a different sport. It w- hockey is definitely tough now, for sure. But, like, hockey was a bit of a blood sport, for sure. Oh, remember <laughs> what that, that one, I can't remember if it was just regular season or playoff series, but when Shane Churla was just running around at Pavel Bure forever, and then Bure finally snapped and just threw the elbow of <laughs> all elbows and just knock Churla out cold. Like for context in the NHL, like imagine there's a game. Ryan Reeves is just messing around with Jack Hughes for like a whole ass playoff series. And then the last game, Jack Hughes, just Superman flying elbow <laughs> and knocks Ryan Reeves out cold. That's what hockey was like back in the nineties. Honestly, people would probably talk about that for the, his entire career. Oh yeah. Who was it that Kovalev, it was Darcy Tucker, right? Where Tucker gave him an elbow or something and Kovalev had the puck the entire, like that entire shift and circled the ozone a couple times. And then with the puck on a stick, went at Darcy Tucker and threw an elbow into his face. Oh yeah. It was a different way of playing hockey. Underrated within fight night at the Joe, I will say. Like, yes, I love obviously McCarty getting the revenge against Lemieux. Yes, I love Shanahan clotheslining uh, uh, Patrick Waugh. Mike Vernon's left cross on Wah to kick <laughs> off that fight was unreal. It is overlooked because like there was a whole scrap after that. But that I'm correct me if I'm wrong. That's what bloodied Patrick Wah, right? Oh yeah. And um, the thing that often gets lost about Fight Night at the Joe is it didn't end at that brawl. No. Every seemingly every whistle for the rest of the game, there was something. There were more fights, there were more scrums, there were more massive hits. That entire game was chaos. Just to put the exclamation mark on peak 90s hockey, Darren McCarty, who was this close to committing actual assault on the ice, (laughs) doesn't get kicked out of the game and scores the overtime winner. First of all, how is he still (laughs) playing in that game? We got the refing's bad now. God bless those refs. Thank you for giving us that moment. Maybe maybe they have established the standard and it's just never changed. (laughs) They can't find the old rule book. Because I always come back to two thoughts on this. And and Darren, I I love him to death, but I I can never get these two thoughts out of my head with Fighting at the Joe. How the hell wasn't he kicked out? Why the hell was he on the ice in overtime? A team with Iserman. Better off. It was a different Shit game, dude. Larry of Cosmo. Darren McCarty's out there scoring OT winners. Uh, 90s, I, I will argue till the day I die, 90s was the most entertaining hockey we will ever see. I, it like, had that perfect kind of blend of like absolute barbarism and elite talent. Like that was really when we started to see the truly skilled players 
enter the league and really raise the bar. The international players had a full decade of playing. We got the Fedorovs and the Burrays bringing their influence to North America. But there was still more than enough remnants of the 70s and 80s to keep, yeah, barbarism is a good <laughs> word for it. So you had that peak just brutality and, and you, we started to see what we could classify now as the modern day skill and speed. Yeah. And then obviously the 70s and 80s was a little too barbaric to compare to the current day. The current day is a little too skilled to compare to those compare to those eras. The 90s. Oh, the 90s was just that perfect blend. So if you ever wonder why we hold a lot of the opinion a lot of the opinions that we do, please know that we all grew up with this <laughs> yeah. era of hockey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh I one last thing on this. This is why the O2 Cup run felt special to me because people forget there was also a Detroit Colorado brawl at the end of the season in 2002. It wasn't like fight night at the Joe and if only Dominic Hasek hadn't slipped coming down the ice at Patrick Waugh. Uh, but that is part of, like, there was also a brawl that year, and that was just an era, a generation of the Red Wings where everything felt like it was written in a storybook, like a Red Wings storybook that where they always won in the end. And when they had that brawl in 02, even when they went down that year 2 nothing against Vancouver in the first round, you're like, mm, no, this year has that feeling to it. And part of it was the the, the brawl against Colorado. It was, Things like that unify locker rooms and unify teams, like and fan bases and fan bases, like those those things change seasons. All all very true. Also, having twelve Hall of Famers or whatever. Yeah, yeah having like Datsuk and Zetterberg on your fourth line, yeah, it helps. Oh, Hank Zetterberg came in in 03, but yeah, Datsuk that hit his rookie season in 02 was uh, it was a luxury to have him. What what was it the. Uh, Young, uh, the young guys with the old goat yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. I forget the name of that line, but Boyd Devereaux, Brett Hall, Pavel Datsuk was your fourth line. <laughs> yeah, where like Brett Hall in the twilight of his career, folding his stick in half with the one timers and Datsuk <laughs> on that. It, it was just like a magical time for for the Red Wings. And then yeah, Henrik Zetterberg starts the next year, so they definitely didn't come into the next era wanting. It was two kids and an old goat. That was it. Yeah, that was the name of the line. Yeah. Oh, man. It's always good to wax poetic on this podcast. All right, folks. We're going to jump into overtime uh, Overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. As I mentioned earlier, it's brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash podcast. if you want to support the show. Every single thing that we're able to do that's cool or fun or good on the show, including uh, recording through the offseason and recording twice a week and supporting the Jamie Daniels Foundation and improving the show, it's all because of our patrons uh, and like I mentioned earlier, the overtime episodes, the Discord, the giveaways, and lots more. There's a ton of great benefits. So if you want to join the Dub Dub Club, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. It means the world to us. Hockey Town Racing Academy. Always good questions. Says, does the dynasty exist if fight night at the Joe didn't happen? Um, I'm emotionally, I'm going to say no, because I'm going to say, I'm going to agree with Evan to say that was a galvanizing moment. Where, you know, this is still a very emotional human sport. Brad is going to have a very fair point that they have had a hell of a lot of Hall of Famers. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, I I can't argue too much with it, but this is a sport all about emotion and spirit making the difference in the margins. And and I think that was a thing that happened that really brought the team together. Oh, it definitely helped. But yes, when you have Iserman, Fetterup, Lidstrom, Shin, it's only a matter of time. That's fair. Uh, okay, question here from Norris Sider. says, I believe Brad mentioned that he wouldn't be surprised if this draft didn't comprise of any D-men in the top 10. 
Despite our glaring need at forward, would it not make sense to grab either Reinbacher, who fits the Eisman build, or Sandine Pelika if we're high on him, who are both right shot D, then hope for a Barlow type with our second pick? I'd almost think you would flip those. The Red Wings have a way bigger need at forward, I would argue. I mean, anybody who's been watching the Red Wings the last three weeks understands that they need a forward and they need a scorer. Um, I really like uh, Sandine Pelika. Um, so I would not be upset at all if they if they grabbed him. If they're picking seven or eights, I don't like him that much, but I do really like him as a player. I think you flip it. I think you take a forward first, and then if one of those two guys is available at, you know, let's say pick 19 or wherever the Islanders pick ends up, uh, I, I think you very much do it. But I'm, I understand you always go best player available, and I understand that especially once you get out of the top 10, there's no guarantees. But if I'm... Steve Eisenman in this draft with those five picks in the top 45, I'm taking four forwards minimum, all of whom have some uh, goal scoring ability. Uh, okay. Question here from Reed, the prophet of the towering Chungus says, which players have you guys liked a in spite of their team and B in spite of themselves? So Reed's answers are a in spite of their team, Marc-Andre Fleury, despite playing for the pens, he's impossible to not like and B, despite all his slew footing and generally acting like a punk, I couldn't help but like P.K. Subban at his peak. I'll say A, in spite of his team, um, it was, it's was it been a lot of fun watching Mitch Marner. And you know what? Credit to him, Willie Nylander, too. Though Marner was my answer because I hate how Leaf fans treated him. He's always been so damn good for him, and I hate the Leafs. So in spite of the Leafs, it's Marner. Because um, Eric Carlson's my favorite player outside of Detroit, but he's never played for any teams that like I hate, so I don't think that counts. Uh, player in spite of himself, I mean, I've talked about how much I deeply respect how much Brad Marchand leans yeah, into his shit. That was mine. Like, I love him because I hate him. Like, so many guys, like, I hate how Tom Wilson runs around like an idiot and pretends to be a good guy. I love that Brad Marchand runs around like an idiot and owns up the idiocy of it all. Yeah. He'll say off the ice. Like, I know, like, I know I went and cross checked that guy and then ran away. He's like, took a penalty and I scored. Yeah. What do you want me to, what do you want to do about it? Uh, I don't know if I'm quite there yet with Brad Martian, but I, I absolutely think he's the best heel hockey has right now. Even when he said he deleted his Twitter the other day and someone was like, why? He's like, uh, they wanted me to get rid of my two FA. So I was like, screw that. He's like, well, I'll probably, log back on when I want to piss someone off or something like that. <laughs> I think no, I Tom, think he, didn't he just say, he's like, I didn't want to pay for Twitter. Something like so that. So he can't, so he deleted it. Think, which again, I, I love so much if that's true. Tom Wilson's a good answer too. No, it's not. Screw that guy. Uh, I take it, a Tom Wilson. That makes it an good as a, answer. I hate, I take him as a player, but like I, I don't respect the guys who do dirty shit and act like a good guy. What about Victor Hedman? Does he have enough bad rep that that would be a good answer? No, he's mm. not there. He's he he's not a cheap shot guy. Like if you're the the correct answer in Tampa Bay is Kucherov. Oh yeah, oh, Kuch yeah, is a good yeah. one. That Kuch, is a good one. Kuch will give you a two hander to the ribs, and he'll stare at you. He'll laugh about it. He'll get in front of a micro. He's number one bullshit. Like yeah, I I love it. I love the guys who are a holes, but like play it up. This is uh, kind of answering both questions, but uh, depending on what era you're talking about, I'll say right now, Sidney Crosby, 
there's nothing wrong with like he's not whiny I think as much as he used to be so this is more of like a despite the team he plays on but to to see what Sidney Crosby is doing at his age right now he's literally still one of the best players in the league like what's the equivalent to what he's doing it's LeBron James playing among the top uh, top tiers of players in the NBA as his body is like aging and he seems to be fighting that like father time is undefeated of course and and will be for both of those players but you know going into the twilight of their career still at the top of the charts is absolutely unheard of and something very, very few. And it's why Crosby is going to go as a, a likely top 10, if not better player of all time. He's he's going to make a lot of people's top five lists. And I think justifiably, maybe that's a, that's a different argument. Uh, Dalali says, I've been listening for a year and I'm curious if there's anything on this podcast that has been with you since episode one, for example, has thoughts with Evan been since the beginning is there something from past years of podcasting you would like to bring back to the show? We eliminated the Mike Milbury minute. Yeah. Well, we should. That wasn't at the start, though. No, that wasn't at the start. The Mike Milbury minute is when we would – it was a, a stretch of time where Mike Milbury just did a bunch of boneheaded things all at once in the air, and then we had rants. And so people thought – Because all the rants were about Mike Milbury to yeah. start. So people thought the Mike Milbury minute was us uh, embodying Mike Milbury, but no, it was actually just because we used to rant about him. Uh, there used to be a whole thing with Evan and eating pineapple that went away. <laughs> well, cause he finally ate the damn pineapple. I don't even remember why I did that. I don't know. No, neither do we. I think S- overtime has been since day one. Overtime has been, yeah, that was actually something that in the name of the podcast are the two things that we stuck with. Yeah. Uh, stay fresh cheese bags is something you'll hear. One of our uh, listeners and patrons and, and biggest supporters of the show, a good friend of ours really is Joseph Fournier. And, uh, he, he saw something online where it says, when you leave a room, you say, stay fresh cheese bags. And so he's. He said that, and now it has a whole kind of like internal cult following within the listeners. It doesn't make any sense. So a new listener hears us say, stay fresh cheese bags, and it just rolls off the tongue. But he's literally saying, stay fresh cheese bags. But yeah, I I don't know. Other people who have been listening for a long time, you let us know. Evan's attitude has stayed since day one. I'm consistent, that's for sure. (laughs) sure, You sure are consistent, man. Overall, the incoherent ramblings have continued since day one. Yeah, we've never gotten rid of those. <laughs> we got to stay true to who we really are. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> this one's funny. Ariel Rojo says, uh, are Evan and Ryan going to help Brad move? We've offered, but Brad's Brad's paying for movers. No, the F I am not. Oh, you're no longer paying for movers. I have gotten oh, quotes from everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, legit. I'm going to throw it out to a bunch of the kids at my work. I'll like just be like, hey, you know whatever, throw out 60, 70 bucks for like three, four hours. Just come help me move my stuff. It's, it's a better rate than we pay him at work. So. They have literally no idea how much leverage they have over Brad. Oh my God. We should yeah. tell him. We should call the store. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, cause like even that between, well, cheapest quote I got for movers was 1500. It costs $195 to rent a 26 foot U-Haul. For the extra, yeah. For the extra thirteen hundred dollars, yeah. and I'll, I'll take some muscle soreness for that difference. In price. And honestly, the fifteen hundred quote I got from the place Evan recommended me was so much cheaper than everybody else. I immediately went, "What's wrong with you?" Because everybody else was over two grand. Well, if Evan would only lend you some of his billions, this wouldn't be an issue. But That's he right. has to buy a new driver this year. New driver, new garage door. Oh, I need a new garage door. Do you think we can get a bulk discount? Hey, maybe. <laughs> two garage. They're going to say no. <laughs> yeah, if you buy 200. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last question here. Bruce Boudreaux's Nuclear Warensky Shire Barbecue Sauce says, question for the crystal ball. What's the Wings draft strategy this year? More best player available, position of need, swing for the fences, et cetera. 
I hope to God it's goal scorers. Just best goal scorer at every pick, please. I was saying to Brad, it looks like Detroit's going to keep their second first round pick this year, which is the Islanders, unless something falls apart catastrophically. Like, So it looks like Detroit is going to have five picks in the first two rounds. I imagine they are going to be moving some of that. I would guess one of the second round picks is going to go. Um, do I imagine a Cosa style move up? Maybe not. I wouldn't rule it out. I'm sure Eisenman's going to try. It's just really hard to do. This, these five picks could dictate how the next, like it's dramatic. It could dictate how the next five, 10 years, however go like with this, the talent in this draft, the Red Wings, if they nail this could cement the good progress they made on their, on their rebuild. And I, I know that's a lot of pressure, but with that kind of, uh, that kind of draft stock in this draft, you have to nail it. Have to. All five picks for Connor Bedard. <laughs> oh, was it what draft? Was it the Taylor Hall draft where someone offered every single one of their draft picks that draft for first overall, and the team obviously said no? Yeah, because that wouldn't be enough. No, I don't think all five picks for Detroit, that Detroit has in the top forty-five gets you Connor Bedard. No, if I'm number one, I would say no to that. No. All right. Anyhow, we're going to get to recording the uh, the Patreon exclusive overtime episode. Before next episode, we there is uh, one game against Pittsburgh on Tuesday, and then we'll be back with you on Wednesday. Appreciate you all tuning in and for supporting the show. If you can't support us on Patreon, uh, other ways you can uh, support besides tuning in, which we really, really appreciate. Tell a friend about the show. Leave us a rating. iTunes, uh, or sorry, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your show. Leave a rating, subscribe. It really helps a lot. And uh, yeah, tell a friend. We'd like to thank all of our listeners, uh, our, all of our supporters on Patreon, our name level sponsors on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Bertuzzi is straight up missing, Nick Perks, Icon, We Are Geelong, the greatest team of all, Glenn Brabham, Aiden White, Jordan Bernaski, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Babe Landiscog, Burt Baconator, Carl Brutanen-Analuski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets and Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, Detroit Rob, DJ Denton, Fanatics Sucks, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hassam Al-Kassem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Joseph Barry, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Massive Wong, Evan Longsaber, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Nicholas Fritz, Oliver Closeoff, R.A., Red 3, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, That's What I Appreciate About You, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, A.A. Ron, Adam Gowitska, Adam Rose, Antonio Gracias, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, C.J. Wilkinson, Connor Layton, Connor Laytonin, Corey Preda, Darren Fick, Flo T-Cast, Forever and Always Bertuzzi's Lost Tooth, Frank Stanley, George's Biggest Fan, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy. Hey guys, get off your phones. I'm reading our name level sponsors. Show some respect. <laughs> Instructions Unclear, Cheese Bag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Engels, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Lieutenant Matt S. of the Cheese Bag Army, Linda Hall, Matt Keeler, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, noted, noted Philip Zedina Whisperer Ben Barron, Oophelia, Reed the Prophet of the Chow, the Towering Chungus, Stephen Tatarsas, and the Hodag. Thank you all so, so very much. We greatly appreciate your support, and we'll talk to you on Wednesday. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.